WMRA News, I'm Bob Levicky. A middle school student in Richmond has died after what appears to be an accidental shooting, and three other students were injured there in separate shooting incidents. One expert on presidential health advocates for more screening of candidates and presidents who are elderly, and he'll talk about that at the Woodrow Wilson Center in Stanton next week. And we have a preview of this month's Books and Brews event with author Corbin Addison. This is the WMRA Daily from Monday, March 13th. A seventh grade student died Friday night in an alleged accidental shooting, according to a statement from Richmond Public Schools Superintendent Jason Cameras. According to the district, three other RPS students were injured the same night in a separate gun violence incident. In a statement, Mayor LeVar Stoney said there are too many guns in the city. He urged residents to lock up guns to prevent unnecessary loss. Governor Glenn Youngkin appeared on CNN late last week for a town hall conversation on education. Youngkin was noncommittal on a run for president in 2024, referencing a, a traditional step before a run. Uh, let's see, Jake, I'm, I'm not writing a book. Right. OK, so <laughs> and, that's right. In fact, the book that I'm, I'm hoping to write is is the book we're talking about right now. Playbook for Education. Youngkin also said he wanted state funding to provide schools with Narcan, which can treat opioid overdoses. The approach of another presidential election in which one or both candidates might be over the age of 80 during their term has prompted more talk about the need for good mental and physical fitness in that job. One expert on presidents and health says the nation should be using technology to scan candidates and presidents on a regular basis. Virginia Public Radio's Sandy Hausman reports. Michael Dickens is a medical doctor and former board chairman of the Woodrow Wilson Presidential Library in Stanton. He knows that the nation's 28th president was not well. He had three strokes before he assumed office as president, and then he had a major stroke in 1919. He was paralyzed on one side of his body, and at some point he was actually depressed to the point that he thought about committing suicide. Richard Nixon abused alcohol toward the end of his second term. John F. Kennedy took steroids and painkillers for a bad back, and Ronald Reagan was likely in the early stages of dementia during his second term in office. The public didn't know, and back then it wasn't possible to predict diseases of the brain. But today, Dickens says there should be more transparency around the commander-in-chief's mental health, and we should use technology to monitor the president. There are any number of screening tests that are now available that tell you whether a person is either in the very early stages of developing Alzheimer's or is at genetic risk for it. If the vice president and senior cabinet think the president is unfit to serve, they can notify Congress and the vice president can take over. This, of course, raises questions about privacy, but Dickens argues people who run for the top office in the land must waive that right because the Constitution will put them in charge of the military and the nation's nuclear weapons. I'm Sandy Hausman. Dr. Dickens will speak about uh, that next Monday, March 20th at 7. For details, visit woodrowwilson.org. Imagine enjoying a nice summer day on your porch, only to discover hog waste being sprayed on the roof of your house. That's what large-scale industrial hog farming operations were doing as a way to get rid of it in one community in North Carolina. But the residents fought back against the industrial farmers, and they won. That's the story of Virginia author Corbin Addison's book, Wastelands. 
He's our speaker for tomorrow's Books and Brews at Pale Fire Brewing in Harrisonburg. WMRE's Chris Boros spoke with Corbin and asked him to describe what led to the jury trial. For a generation, really stretching back to the 60s and 70s, but especially in the 80s and 90s, the hog industry exploded and industrialized. And the challenge is that pigs, they defecate a lot. They produce a lot of waste. What do you do with that? And, and the industry answered that uh, with medieval technology. I mean, you know, industry always looks for the cheapest way to make a buck. So they dug giant cesspools, basically big holes in the ground. So they decided, you know, why don't we just spray it out on fields? And, and so that's what they did. They, they invented these giant sprinklers, pumped this waste out and shot it up in the air, like, you know, 50, 100 feet up into the air and into the wind. And you can imagine what happened to the neighbors. I mean, the people that had lived there in many cases for generations, when it happened that they found themselves literally being sprayed with hog waste, some of it landing like rain on their rooftops, you know, or getting into their clothes and waking them up at night. These folks found Mona Lisa Wallace, who was a local uh, attorney from Salisbury, the small town of Salisbury, who had gone up against Duke Power and a bunch of, you know, big companies. And she was willing to take the case on spec, not knowing if it was worth a dime. And she fought with them for seven years in order to get justice against Smithfield Foods. When you were researching this and, and meeting the people, was there a particular story of a resident or even a specific person that you met that stuck with you and made you realize, yeah, I've got to I've got to write this? You know, I had pretty much made the decision to write, uh, you know, just from the stories I'd heard in the lunchroom at the courthouse. But there were definitely a number of really profound stories that I, I recount in the book. Elsie Herring was probably, you know, the most effective and outspoken activist. And she found that, um, you know, there had been a, this giant hog farm that had been built next door. Didn't really think anything of it because everybody in her childhood had pigs on the ground. They discovered it uh, one day, and I say they, she, her mother, and her brother who had Down syndrome and had lived home, at home his, uh, his entire life. They were out on the porch, and the hog farmer next door rolled out one of these giant Jurassic-sized spray guns and let loose for the very first time. She, she described what she called the live scent of hog, which really is the best possible description. It's, un, it's indescribable, but you can kind of imagine it. It totally overwhelmed them. It gets in your nose and your throat. I've had this experience myself. Mm. It, it just like burns, like it drives you away. It's the most putrid scent imaginable. And so they, they ran inside, closed the door, closed the windows, left the porch and the breezes, went inside this hot box of a house to try to escape the stench and couldn't. And, and then it was then that Elsie, for the very first time, heard the pitter patter of this waste falling on her mother's roof like rain. Oh. And I, I just remember like sitting on her porch and imagining that, that experience. And it was, it was just so visceral. And I was like, yeah, this this needs to be, you know, highlighted in the story because I think everyone's going to respond the same way I did. If there's one thing you hope someone takes away from reading the book, what is it? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, it's, it's that sometimes the good guys win. I mean, you know, even in this world that seems to be, you know, a cynicism factory these days, it doesn't matter where you look, what story you read, what angle you come from, what party you, you know, you vote for. I mean, I, I feel like there's just... The world's awash in cynicism, and it feels like so many people have kind of given up on institutions 
you know, as a lawyer who's worked in the courtroom, you know, I've seen both justice and injustice in the courtroom, but I always lived for those days when it felt like, you know, the heavens parted and like sun came down and like the jury got it. And that's what happened in this case. You don't always get it in the courtroom. You certainly don't always get it in life. But once in a while, justice happens and the good guys win. Corbin Addison's book is Wastelands, the true story of farm country on trial. And he's our speaker for tomorrow night's Books and Brews at 7 o'clock at Pale Fire Brewing in Harrisonburg. And we have details at WMRA.org. Corbin, great talking with you. Congratulations on the book. We're looking forward to Books and Brews tomorrow night. Thanks. Really enjoyed it. To hear a longer version of this interview, visit WMRA.org. Finally today, the Virginia Institute of Marine Science released its annual sea level rise report cards, and the news is not great for Norfolk. WHRO's Catherine Hafner has the details. The William & Mary Institute found that Norfolk continues to have the highest rate of sea level rise on the East Coast, and it's accelerating. The water's rising here by more than 5 millimeters per year, compounded by the land sinking. Here's Molly Mitchell with VIMS in a video they released with their report cards. We have this advantage where we actually have really good information about how water levels are changing. Although it can seem maybe scary or depressing that water is coming up, knowing ahead of time gives us the opportunity to make decisions that reduce the impacts of that. About 85% of the coastal spots they studied around the country are seeing escalating sea level rise. Catherine Hafner reporting. For WMRA News, I'm Bob Levicky. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy your Monday. Mm-hmm.